We're going to look at a couple of verses in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 4, and 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, uh, you know, serving the Lord is serious business. We don't, uh, there's so many things we just don't take seriously enough. Uh, we don't take the grace of God seriously enough. We don't know how bad sin is. And uh, that's why we come to church. Hopefully we get a little bit something added to our storehouse of knowledge. And we don't take the grace of God for granted. And we don't take the fact that God has chosen us. Jesus said, uh, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And we find that theme throughout the scriptures. Uh, we hear people debating and arguing, well, what about all these other people? And just be thankful you're, you're on the inside if you're on the inside. Don't be trying to figure out about why somebody else didn't make it. You, you make the most of your time while you can. I think to start, uh, even before I read these verses, we should pray. And just pray that the Lord will open up our hearts and, and take his word seriously. Father, please use this time all for your glory, that we as your servants will take your word seriously. We will hear what your Holy Spirit has inspired your servant, the Apostle Paul, to relay to us and reveal to us, Father, how pertinent it still is for this day and age, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. We thank you, Lord, for your eternal word. And we praise the name that's above every name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Now, don't pay attention to that. <laughs> that is not there. <laughs> and don't think about a pink elephant either. <laughs> no, you could go ahead and think about a pink elephant, but don't pay any attention to that. I don't want to throw you off. There's a couple of verses here. First in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm reading from our new Pew Bibles, the New English Version. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, actually I want to start with uh, uh, the quote from the prophets in verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the target text in this little context here. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And if you can turn just a couple of pages over to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. You see, Ephesians and Colossians are sister epistles. Uh, it's even widely believed that the same uh, delivery guy who delivered it to Ephesus, delivered it to the church at Colossae. And uh, Bible scholars think that they complement each other. And if you can't figure out something in Ephesians, look at some comparative uh, context in Colossians. And we find almost the same words here in Colossians chapter 4. In verse number 5, and again, I want to back up a little bit. I like to just, you know, whenever you have a favorite Bible verse, in, rather than just reading that one verse, you should back up a couple of verses, especially if your Bible has marked paragraphs. Read that literary context, and it'll just make that verse that you're looking at, it'll make it more what it is. That's what the old country preacher used to say. 
makes it makes it more of what it is. It, it just makes it stand out more. It's, it's kind of like why jewelers will put a diamond on a black velvet background. It just makes that jewel stand out more. And even though we're talking about literature, it's sacred literature, it's inspired literature, and uh, the context just makes uh, any verse stand out as more. So he says in verse 2, this is Colossians chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, and here's this phrase again, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And one more set of verses, and this is, this is really kind of the, the high point, I think. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Now remember, this is written by a guy on death row, a man close to the end of his life. He knows he's going to be executed. And I just want you to hear the victory that is in Paul's voice as he writes these words. Verse 6, 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, because of what I just did, because I fought the fight, kept the faith, finished the race, henceforth, because of that, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me, but also, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hear it. Pay attention. Well, the old King James Version, which some of us may be familiar with and grew up with, may remember the phrase that is translated a little bit different. Here it says making the most, making the best use of your time. But I like some phrases out of the old King James just seem to have a, a nice ring to it. I like the phrase redeeming the time. And uh, it's, a, it's an unusual turn of a phrase. We don't, I don't think we've ever, any of us, I know I certainly haven't, I've never talked to anyone and said, well, how you doing, Ron? I'm redeeming the time. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever said that to me. I mean, the only place I've ever heard it is uh, in the scriptures, in the old King James Version. But redeeming the time is, is serious business for those of us who know how quick life passes. I told you, don't pay attention to this, but this has something to do with how quick our life passes. Uh, you know, most of us here can probably uh, think Man, I don't know where the last 40 years have gone. You ever, you ever have that realization and say, man, it just, I, you know, we've been married almost 44 years, and it seems like three weeks ago. I, it, just, it, it just goes so fast. It's, 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 uh, that's why the Bible refers to our life as a, a vapor, or sometimes it could be referred to as other things, uh, but it, it surely does it surely does go fast. Uh, anyone want to take a crack at what this is? Garland, you're a smart guy. What is that? A dot or tittle. Well, that's good. 
I wouldn't have thought of that. Tom. A Morris code dash. Okay. All right. Yes, Sandy. You know, I should always exempt ministers' wives and, and people in clergy. You know, I'm trying to create some tension here. And uh, I tell my wife, you know, before I say, don't, don't answer this. You know, and I, I, I don't know if I've told you, but I, I wanted to exempt Ron and Ann. You know, could you have been in the ministry? You know, you could probably figure this out. But uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, I thought if I would, you know, create some tension, nobody would know what it is. Then I would do this. And then, you know, you, you still wouldn't know what it is. R2-D2. Hey, that's good. See, we're, we're part of the Star Wars generation. You know, that's been like fo over 40 years ago. Seems what? like three weeks. Seems, <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, you could have seen it three weeks ago because it's in eternal reruns. It, it's on all the time. But you could, uh, and I've... I just arbitrarily picked 1945. I hope it doesn't freak you out if you were born in 1945 and, and uh, you say, well, but all of us are going to get this. All of us are going to get our own little mark with our own little stone, a memorial stone. Yes, it is. It's a headstone. Yes. Now, not everybody gets the same kind of memorial stone. I heard about this, this woman whose husband died and they were going over the will the estate and everything, and as they were looking through the records, uh, you know, they said, okay, well, the funeral cost this much, and this other thing cost this much, and then the, the, the lawyer's going down. He says, I see you got a memorial stone here. It's $22,000. He said, I gotta see this, this tombstone. This must really be signed. She said, oh no, it's right here. <laughs> a different kind of memorial. A different kind of memorial stone. <laughs> so, so our life is a hyphen. The Bible calls it a vapor. And it doesn't look like much because it isn't. And those of us who are people of the book, we're known as people of the book, we're aware of eternity. I mean, we, we live with this constant awareness that our life is very short and eternity is all that matters and it's all of what we live for. Some... Uh, I don't, I don't know if he was a, a smart aleck or, or a wise philosopher, uh, made the observation, it's not that life is so short, but that death is so long. <laughs> and that's a good way to uh, picture. I mean, what is your life but a vapor that appears for a while? And it's surely a, con a contrast. And we strive to make the most of our dash. And I'll get to why I uh, was reading some of the Apostle Paul's last words. So this study is on redeeming the time. Uh, I don't know how many weeks I'm going I'm to get, maybe uh, three, maybe four, uh, and, then, and then we're going to do something else that Ron had suggested. And uh, I don't know if every one of these is going to be on redeeming the time, but I think maybe this week and next week. We're just going to talk about these things. Uh, I have noticed, as maybe you have noticed, people are not comfortable talking about death. We hate funerals. I've got the fresh funeral this Friday with a friend of mine, uh, loved the Lord. Here was a guy who made the most of his dash, for sure. Uh, and I say he was relatively young. I mean, 40 years ago, I wouldn't have thought a 77-year-old man was young. Now, I think <laughs> this guy was in the prime of his life. And he was in real good shape, too. I mean, he took care of himself and he loved the Lord. He called me two weeks before, or maybe 10 days before, he, he passed over into the other side. 
and he talked to me for 40 minutes. He preached to me. The guy, the guy was a preacher and traveled with a missionary evangelist that uh, I knew from my other uh, fellowship. And uh, this guy was really something. I mean, he was really like a, uh, about as close to an apostle. I mean, he'd, he'd go into foreign lands and, and br bring the gospel. In fact, during Vietnam, the army gave him a helicopter and flew this guy around. He wasn't even an army chaplain, but the army flew this guy around and he said he saw things happen as if it was the book of Acts in Vietnam where the gospel was being preached. And this guy that we just buried Friday was a part of that. Uh, the reason I wanted to mention the Apostle Paul's last words is because uh, this doesn't just happen. Uh, you can't redact your life in the last couple of weeks and all of a sudden make it sound like your whole life was significant. Have you ever been to a funeral for someone and you wondered if you were in the right place? <laughs> because because the, to the guy who was eulogizing said, what a great servant of God he was. And you're saying, I knew this guy. Surely he can't be talking about him. But, you know, we all want to say nice things. That, that's why they call it a eulogy. It's supposed to be a good word. But sometimes some of those eulogies can... Uh, they can be you know, stretching the truth a little bit, or, or at least try, trying to make them sound better than they actually were. You know, it's kind of like some evangelists in, in certain churches, you know, they want to pump up their numbers, and we, we say they're evangelistically speaking, <laughs> stretching their numbers. Oh, we had 5,000 people. Yeah, well, if you add up 1,500 from every night you were there, five nights, well, you did. Five, you know, but you're not supposed to add them up like that, but, but people speak evangelistically because they're trying to uh, prop up their own records and it doesn't always work like that. So, to facilitate this and uh, the phrases that we read in Colossians and Ephesians about making the most of an opportunity or redeeming the time, uh, we all know, and this is the part that people don't like to hear, but uh, for most of us here, I know there's a couple of young people here, but for most of us here, Most of our dash is already gone. How do you like that? <laughs> Maybe you just got a dot. That's <laughs> another Morris code thing. <laughs> but that's, 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 that's about what we have left. And, you know, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, they don't know if that's all they have left. You know, uh, life is very uncertain. It's very uh, short. And uh, we don't know when the end's going to come. This guy went to the doctor. He had a bunch of tests done. The doctor finally got a hold of me and said, listen, I got good news and bad news. And he says, well, tell me the good news. He said, well, the good news is you've got 24 hours to live. He said, that's the good news. What's the bad news? He said, I've been trying to get a hold of you since yesterday. <laughs> you don't want to hear that. But people do hear things like that, and it's very unsettling. It's very, uh, you know, we hear about people when, when they get that diagnosis, and uh, all of a sudden, they want to, you know, being in the ministry, and I know the rest of us, I, I know Ron's probably heard things like this. Uh, when people get that terminal diagnosis and they know that they only have a short amount of time to live, man, they can sure wax spiritual. They can start to quote verses in the King James, and they just, uh, you know, they, it's as if they're trying to make up for lost time. And what I'm telling you is that if you want to have a victorious exit like the Apostle Paul, a guy on death row, he's not bummed out, he's not morose, 
He said, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, we know that's a reference to an Old Testament sacrifice. You know, the thing about a drink offering is when you pour it out, you don't get it back. I think in the, somewhere in the Proverbs, or it, this might be extra biblical outside, but there's a phrase that says, as water spilt upon the ground, it cannot be gathered up again. Uh, once that water spilt out, you're not going to get it back in that cup. And our lives, which are going to be spilled out soon, we can't go back and say, you know, I want to rewind. I want to go back. I, I want to go back and edit it. You know, crank me back to 20 so I can start all over again with what I know. And uh, we do not get that chance. We have to do what we can. And we know that time is passing so fast. Ray Stedman is a name you may remember. He was a pastor of the Peninsula Bible Church out in Northern California, just south of San Francisco. Chuck Swindoll was his intern back in the day when he got out of seminary. But uh, Ray Stedman had a, had a way with words, writ, wrote many books. And he said one time he <laughs> was looking at the mirror and he said, mirror, mirror on the wall. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we, we look at the mirror and we can't believe how fast the time is going. I've got a sister who's 13 years older than me. And because we have the same parents, you know, brothers and sisters sometimes have relative same characteristics. And a couple of months ago, this happened. First time this ever happened. I looked in a mirror and I saw her. It, 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 it scared me. I mean, I, I saw my, I mean, she's pushing 80. And, and I saw her in my face and it, uh, it was very unsettling. And I, uh, that's all I have to say about that. I'm not going to say any more about that. I want to leave like the Apostle Paul. I want to be able to say, I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And the reason why I've, I've entitled this Redeeming the Time, if you plan on doing this, you better get after it now. Because the time to start redeeming the time is not when you enter assisted living. That's not when you say, okay, now I'm really going to live for Jesus. You know, what? Uh, no, he, if, in fact, if you're not living for him now, if, if you can't be an open witness and testimony, look, all of your friends and family probably know you're a part of this church. And that's a good thing. It's a good church. I'm proud to be a part. I love this church. And if people say, oh, you go to that church? I say, yes, I do. I love it. It's a great church. It's a great Bible church. We stand for biblical things. We've got an RN on staff with a sonogram, which is helpful in, in taking young girls who don't have any direction. And they don't realize that precious life that's in their womb. They show them on that sonogram. And some girls are actually persuaded not to have an abortion. That's a great thing. It's life. The Bible tells us to choose life. So as being a part of this church, people ought to know that. Whenever you get a chance to publicize this church, invite people to church maybe, let them know. Let them know, man, this is a good church. You ought to come here and make the most out of whatever little part of your dot or dash that you have left because we don't know when it's going to be up. We don't know. And you notice as we get older, it seems to move faster. Someone, I don't know who this was, I like to give credit when I quote people, but someone said life is it's like a roll of toilet paper. The closer to the end it gets, the faster it goes. And it's, it's very much like that. And that's a visual thing that you can remember almost on a daily basis. You see that all, all the time. So good, remember that. Remember, that's your life. That's how fast it's going. So, uh, now, why we put off deeds or things that we know we should do, and as I was thinking about this, I'm going to give you a phrase, and it's not a, a behavioral science phrase that I got out of a textbook. Uh, I don't know that this has ever been 
recognized by behavioral scientists unless they were Christians, because this is really not a comfortable thing that we like to admit. But I think that we uh, employ a selective, personally advantageous amnesia. A personal, selective, a selective, personally advantageous amnesia. In other words, we like to forget things that we should do for Christ's sake if it somehow benefits us personally. For instance, some people don't like to tithe. You know, one of the great things that I could say, the liberty that I have is, I really don't know everybody here. You know, so you can't say he's talking about me, he knows me. I don't know. But if the Holy Spirit touches your heart, well, I'm just talking about gospel things, well, good. If you feel horrible and you leave this place, that's a good thing. That means the Lord's not finished with you. See, that guy's trying to make me feel bad. I can't do that. I've tried that for 40 years. I've tried to make people feel bad. It doesn't work. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit touches your heart, you know he's not through with you. It's a very precious thing. It's, a, it's something we should leave in our feeling miserable and thank God, thank God that you're not through with me yet. And there's still something that you have for me to do. So if we are selectively deleting things that we know we ought to be doing, and really one of the most tangible ways that uh, we forget of our responsibilities is, is when we ought to be faithful with our tithe. That's just something. This will give you victory on your deathbed. None of us want to be on our deathbed and, and, and have to admit to the Lord, Lord, I didn't do what I should have done. I knew what to do, but I just didn't do it. Why? Because I was greedy, because I was covetous, because I was cheap, because I really didn't believe you. But now I'm on my deathbed and I'm looking into the vast dark hole of eternity and I want to be accepted, Lord. I want your blessing. I want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say that if you hadn't done well. You know, we think, well, you know, I showed up in church once in a while, therefore I'm going to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. There might be a little bit more to it than that. And uh, if that makes you nervous, thank God. Thank God that he gives you an uneasy feeling. It's the moving and the wooing and the plowing of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that does that. And uh, don't let anybody talk you out of it. You know, we're living in a postmodern society where these pop psychology books, you remember, what was it, 40 years ago, Ron, you would know. Remember that book, I'm Okay, You're Okay? <laughs> Someone ought to write another book. I'm not okay and neither are you. <laughs> that's, that's the book that needs to be written because we're not okay. You know, we're, we're desperately wicked. Uh, who, who knows how bad we are? You know, people ask me, what's your favorite verse? Well, I've got a lot of favorite verses. I don't know if this is my favorite, but the one I quote most is, Oh, wretched man that I am! <laughs> Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I seem to be quoting that verse all the time. Uh, you know, you, you may not want to do that. that. That may not set with you, but a, uh, boy, sometimes I just feel that's exactly what I am. I just feel I'm wretched and I'm, I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. So, if this uh, sort of selective, personally advantageous uh, amnesia uh, is, is operational in your life just because you forget things that you don't want to do because of covetousness. You know, one thing we know about this, it's always self-centered. If people are not uh, giving or doing what they ought to be doing, they're not making the most of their life, who's the one who benefits from that? Your bank account, your retirement account that you're going to leave behind and your kids are going to fight over. 
and the lawyers are going to get a big chunk of. You know, now, if you've ever thought about doing something, you want to do something for the glory of God, if you want to make the most of whatever dash you have left, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. I first heard that from Lester Roloff. Anybody here remember Lester Roloff, that Baptist preacher from Corpus Christi, had that girl's home? He was hot stuff, but he, he, he would say, so, he's a little extreme. I, said, I heard him preaching against ketchup once. I don't know why anybody would. He said, what's wrong with the tomato? You got to use ketchup. I, said, I, I won't be preaching against ketchup here this morning. So in case you were getting nervous, you know, for your 4th of July holiday, I don't want you to be under conviction as you're heaping on the, heaping on the Heinz ketchup. So, it is a good thing to do our giving while we're living because we get to see the benefits of what we're doing. And uh, as I've been a part of this church a little over two and a half years now, this church is into everything. There's all kinds of opportunities, things that we can invest into for the body of Christ, for the glory of God. And uh, nobody ever regrets giving something for Christ's sake, for his kingdom glory, while you know what you're doing. I mean, you know, don't, don't wait until you're, you know, kind of blinking in and out and you have to trust your spouse to do it for you. Do it now. Do your giving while you're living, while you're fully, fully alive. So there's two benefits that we derive from redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity. First of all, we, we have an active part in, uh, in, in, in kingdom business. We're a part of the kingdom, the kingdom of God that is within us and uh, uh, the visible presence of this church that occupies this this great city block in downtown San Antonio. It's a great church to be a part of, and, and our contributions, our faithfulness pays the bills. I, I have no idea what the budget of a place like this is, but man, I would hate to have to pay just a light bill for this place, or the maintenance, you know, what it's costing them to get the, 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 that, that floor redone in, in, in Westminster Hall. I mean, you know, the, the costs for a, a church like this to be operational are astronomical, and it happens with God's faithful people. You know, there's something else. Maybe you've heard of this. I'm sure Ron has heard of this. Ron's heard of everything. There's nothing I'm going to say that he hadn't already heard of. But there's this, this uh, it's a mathematical formula, and it's so strangely accurate in so many areas. It's called the 80-20 principle. And most churches have this 80-20 principle. 80% 80 of their income comes from 20% of the people. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it is here. I have no idea. I'm just telling you, I'm in, in my old church, that's kind of the way it was. Not that I went, I figured it out, but ballpark. And you know, it also works the same way for trouble. 80% of your trouble in a church comes from about 20% of your people. It's, it, it, it's just an amazing 80-20 principle. And uh, you know, when, when you go to church, don't be looking around. Wonder what percentage they're in. <laughs> we don't know, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows. The Lord knows where we're at and what we're involved in and what we're not involved in. So it's a great thing as we're redeeming the time, we're making the most of whatever little piece of this dot or dash that we have left. We're active in kingdom business. And this is a key to peace. You know, I, I don't like to talk about dying just like everybody else, but, uh, you know, I'm at the age where uh, anything could happen. I, I was surprised. I had a heart attack six almost seven years, no, actually uh, six years ago. And uh, I'm glad that it wasn't that bad. I didn't even know I was having it. I guess if you're going to have a heart attack, that's the kind you want to have. I, I just felt tired. and You know, it was July 6th. 
It was over 100 degrees, duh, like it is for the past two months, it's been 100. And I was working outside. I, I, I did work outside to help support my preaching habit. And I was uh, hanging some gutter on a house, and man, it was 100 degrees. And I sat down in the shade, and I, man, I just didn't feel good. Anyway, I went over to my, uh, my friend's, my real estate friend's office, sitting in the air conditioning, and the secretaries would come out and say, man, you don't look good. I said, I don't feel good. And you know it's bad when people who barely know you tell you, you don't look good. So it really wasn't making me feel good. And I thought I was going to have my boss drive me over, but my wife said, no, I'll be there. She drove me over to this minor emergency clinic. Hey, you know, they hook you up to all the wires. And they said, well, we don't think you're having a heart attack, so it must have not been that bad. But we're going to, you know, just do this. And the next thing I know, they're getting the cath lab ready, and they gave me a, a three-mile, $1,500 ride in the back of that ambulance. Three miles, 1500 bucks. That was one expensive ride, I'll tell you what. It's, and it wasn't even a Rolls Royce. I mean, it was a Ford modified van. And, uh, but you know, because they hook you up to tubes and wires, and even the guys in the back, they said, you know, we're looking at your, it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like, but they, I guess they did it anyway. I was glad. The point I'm trying to make is that none of us knows when we can be gone. And uh, we don't want to, it's almost like gambling. If we're withholding something, if, if there's a part of ourselves in our heart, maybe it's something that you're hanging on to. Now's the time to make the most of whatever time you have left. And it, it, it brings peace. When we're actively involved in kingdom business, it is the key to peace. And we can leave this life in peace. I've often wondered where that, where that uh, moniker came from. Uh, I don't think it was invented by, by Christian people that say, uh, we know what that means, rest, rest in peace. You know, the only people that are resting in peace are God's people. You know, they think, well, if we put this on a tombstone, that'll, that'll cover every other bad thing to do. No. If you want to rest in peace, you better be living in peace right now. Living in the peace that only Jesus gives. So, uh, constant participation in this, in this kingdom to come, for which we always pray. Don't we always pray this? Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, you want to be involved in it? Are you really praying it, or are you just mouthing the words? Are you just going through the motions? I mean, I think people can say the Lord's Prayer in a semi-comatose state. They just, they hurry it all their life, blah, 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 and they're really not thinking about what they're saying. I think the Lord's Prayer is serious. We ought to think about it. And I, you know, last year when I did that little deal on the Lord's Prayer, I, I prepared for that for six months. It rocked my world. It revolutionized my life. And it revolutionized the way I pray. And I, how can you not take something serious that Jesus gives us such a concise, succinct framework to build our prayer life around, which is the Lord's Prayer. And one of those things, the first thing, after we recognize the person of God the Father, is His program, the kingdom of God, the will of God. That's more important than any of your retirement plans. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. That's what matters, not <laughs> my retirement flourish or something. Else. You know, none of those things in the opening of the Lord's Prayer is, is egocentric. It's all theocentric. It's all God-centered. So, sometimes I get ahead of my notes. I, I said, you know, I... Sometimes we add, I add, uh, Father and Jesus who are in heaven. Yes. Yes, they're both there. Yes. And amazingly, somehow the Holy Spirit can still be there and still be here too. That's one of those things you can ask him when you get there. How did he do that? There's so much we don't know. You know, you know there's questions. Uh, 
I, I would have had a whole lot more answers for you 40 years ago. <laughs> Boy, 40 years ago, I had a, I just come out of Bible school. I had a bachelor's degree. I, I can answer some questions. Now, there's some things I'd say, you're going to have to ask Ron. So, <laughs> and Dr. Skates will handle that answer for you. <laughs> you know, we're going to be doing answer, questions and answers here, I think, if people, if people submit any. I don't know if anybody submits, but uh, if they do, well, we'll see how it goes. And hopefully, it'll go good. So, uh, what I'm doing here is, is, is no selective, targeted preaching. I, I'm not preaching because, well, I know Carso's here, and I know Carso's this. I mean, and besides, I would never do that. I, I love this guy so much. Even if I could do that, I wouldn't do it. Same goes for you, Don, Gustin. I love you, and I, I, I would never point anybody out. And, and, and besides, for the preachers that prepare messages for a select audience, it usually backfires on you. I got to tell you this one thing. I mentioned this, but J.K. wasn't here. You need to hear this. There was this preacher who uh, had a guy in his church who would always come up after the service and say, boy, preacher, you sure told him today. And uh, the next service, oh, pastor, you let him have it today. And this guy was always thinking that the pastor was preaching to everybody else and that the guy would never internalize anything that he said himself. So uh, one day said, big snowstorm. This is Lauren, I think in North Dakota. Lauren, somewhere up in your country, huh? North Dakota, big blizzard blew in. Nobody showed up in church except this one guy. The preacher said, nah, I got him. I'm going to preach today. So the preacher unloaded. And he thought, well, this guy's not going to, there's no way he can misunderstand that this is for anybody else. And he unloaded on this guy. The guy came up to him after the service and said, boy, preacher, you sure would have told him if they were here today. <laughs> you sure would have let him have it if they were here today. <laughs> but, you know, people always think that the message is for someone else, and it's really not. It's, you know, there's something there. We should come to church and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, even if it makes me uncomfortable, I want to make the most. I want to redeem the time that I have left. I want to make the most of every opportunity, and uh, it's a great way to leave this life. Someone was, uh, I think it was Haddon Robinson, in one of the messages I heard him preach, he said, you know, when, when uh, you look over a biography of a person's life, you know, we have to start with their life, but that's the most uneventful thing of all. Everybody's born, you know. All of us had nothing to do with it. You know, we just came into this world, we showed up, and here we are. You know, we had nothing to do with it. But the important thing, when you're looking at a person's biography, is how they died. And then from there, you go back, the things that built up to it. You know, there's, there's people that have had enchanted lives. They, you know, seem to have everything going their way, but how they die is the most significant thing. I've got kind of a strange, morbid hobby. I like to read books that uh, reveal famous people's last words. Because last words uh, sometimes tell a lot. And uh, <clears throat> I've read a lot of these Hollywood types, and I, mean, I don't have them written down. I'm not going to tell you. But there is one that I'm going to remember. Frank Sinatra. You talk about a guy who had it all. I mean, good looking, had a voice like an instrument. I mean, very, very popular, very famous in every way. But as he got close to the end of his life, I think even he began to realize that uh, he had blown it. He had missed it. And it's recorded that his last words were, I'm losing. I'm losing. I'm losing. I'm losing. Here's a guy who owned casinos. By the way, people that own casinos, they're not the losers. People that own casinos are the winners. But even people that own casinos come to an end of a Christless life, if that's what they have, and they have to admit, I'm losing. 
And it's uh, something that uh, none of us here would ever want to find ourselves in that situation to be pitied, that we've blown it, we've missed opportunities, we could have done things that we should have done, we could have redeemed the time when we had the chance, and you can't just be on your deathbed and say, well, uh, uh, chaplain, will you turn to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy? Uh, I fought the fight. You can't say that if you hadn't fought the fight. I finished the race. You can't say that if you haven't finished the race. I've kept the faith. You can't say that if you haven't kept the faith. And wherever this hits you, if it hits you, I pray God let it hit you. Let it hit you good for his glory. You know, we have quiet times after our services here. Whoever's preaching will always say, there's somebody out in the Griffith Chapel. I don't know that ever, anybody ever goes out there. I hope some people do. I hope that they get prayed for. I know that it happens in the contemporary service. You know, I go to both services, you know, so I see what goes on. I'm, I'm kind of a church junkie. I like both of them. And uh, you're going to like church today. I, we're going to combine the contemporary and the traditional. But uh, Becky's got a good message. And you're going to like it. Real short, too. And uh, some people like short messages, but because we have communion, she's got a time regulated. And it's a good story. She, she tells it well. It's a good thing if the Lord is stirring up something in your heart for you to deal with it as soon as you can. If you say, well, I'll deal with it later. I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go eat after church, and you're going to forget about it. And you're going to get home tonight, and you may think about it, but yeah, let's see what's on a boob tube. You put on 60 minutes, and you'll forget about it. And then something else will come on, and then you'll be tired, and it's time to get ready for bed. And uh, you just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. That's not how you redeem the time. That's not how you make the most of the situation. Because the situation you have may only be that big. And that's not much. And it's a graphic illustration. Haddon Robinson, again, used the eloquent in the way he said it. I wish I could talk like him, but I can't. But he was in his 70s. We were at a seminar, and he was talking. And he said, I'm getting old now. He still talked with a New York accent. He said, I'm getting old and more sand has gone through my hourglass than that which remains. And that's a, a graphic imagery of how most of us here can say the same thing. Our hourglass is just about over with. And this is not meant to freak anybody out. It's not, I understand the denial kicks in and people think uh, heathens do that all the time they say, well, if I just put it out of my mind it, it, it won't bother me I got a precious old woman in my church Josie Stewig oh what a precious lady she was she had a daughter-in-law that was a just a heathen she didn't want any part of the gospel and when Josie would talk to her about judgment and hell and things that she should be afraid of her daughter-in-law would say I just put that out of my mind that's, that's selective denial. People can do that. People don't, people can't handle the truth of the gospel. They can't handle the truth of judgment to come. So what do they do? They put it out of their mind. They purposefully think, well, if I don't think about it, then nothing bad will happen to me. Boy, that's a stupid program. And it's not going to work. Just because people don't believe in hell doesn't cool it off one degree. And they could deny it all they want. And uh, look, if you ever feel this uneasiness, maybe if the pastor's talking about taking up a special offering or in the way that you personally respond to conviction. Uh, you know, if you want to know right now, talking about money, I'll just close on this. Talking about money. If you want to know, well, where's my heart at right now? Look at where your treasure is. Now, I'm not the bookkeeper who's given that order. Jesus is the one who said that. 
where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I read that for years and I said, ah, Jesus, I'm, I'm not sure you got that right. <laughs> you know, only a stupid person says that. <laughs> Jesus always has it right. I thought, well, isn't it where your heart is? That's where your treasure is? Doesn't your treasure follow where your heart is? Jesus said it doesn't work like that. He said, you look right now where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, what you have your material wealth invested in, proves where your heart is right now. So let the Lord deal with you gently, as his Holy Spirit does. And keep in mind, we're running out of time. Let's make the most out of whatever little dot or dash. We don't know how long our dash is going to last, but it's, we're running out of time. It's going to be over before we know it. Now's the time. Today's the day. This service is a time we could do something for the glory of God. And say, Lord, I want to be all in. I want to leave this life in victory like the Apostle Paul and think about that crown of life, a crown of righteousness which is laid up by the righteous judge. Not for him only, but for all those who love his appearing. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to always take your word seriously and never to just push it aside to selectively employ our denial, our senses of denial, thinking that if we ignore it, it'll just go away and it won't have any effect on us. Lord, I pray that you'd let the sweet anointing of your Holy Spirit touch our hearts. Make this church what it ought to be. Make the people that are in this church what we ought to be, Lord, so that we can leave this life victoriously. And most of all, to hear the Master say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, help us to do that. We ask you, Lord, for that ongoing conviction and presence of your Holy Spirit to make it so in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we agree together. Amen. And amen.